Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Help on the Way podcast, where we are featuring June 24th, 1985, from the Riverbend Music Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. I am your co-host, The Game, here with my fellow co-hosts, Knob and Fig. Let's go ahead and give them a nice, warm, welcoming Tuesday evening hello, friends. Hello. A nice, and... warm, welcoming Tuesday evening. Hello, friends. Just like a piece of apple pie. Uh, before we get into our main event this evening, which was a lovely Monday, June 24th, 1985, from once again Riverbend Music Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, we are, of course, going to start our show with our Channel 6 music news. And I think the um, it's only appropriate to start off with a birthday. Um, Nob, it's your birthday? Is today's Donna Jean's birthday? Today? Yes. Today that we're recording, if you're listening to this when we release it, it was a couple days ago. August 22nd, uh, I don't know the year, but it's Donna Jean's, we don't need to know the year. Yeah, we don't need to know. Um, It's Donna Jean's birthday, Um, and I thought, I didn't think this is on our show sheet, that we should share (laughs) our most favorite Donna moment. And I will actually start this, because I have something off the top of my head. Um, There are... This was on the Grateful Dead subreddit today on the Donna birthday announcement post. And on the Donna birthday announcement post, it said, um, no Donna slander is allowed today. And I can dig that. And then the top rated comment was just, oh! Oh, <laughs> uh, so, okay, let me just explain what I heard, uh, uh, which was, I was going to say, yeah, the, um, whatever software is, is using thought that, uh, you had been hit by a car and it stopped <laughs> recording at that exact moment. So all I heard was you begin to, I, I assume squeal like Donna and then end the scream. So. That's how most Donna Wailings should have started and should have ended, personally. <laughs> yeah, there's some sound suppression software going on there. Um, Is that what you heard, too, Mob? One more time? Is that what you heard, too? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was very weird. <laughs> um, as far as an actual personal favorite Donna moment, um, I don't know if I can pinpoint one, but I'm definitely not a Donna hater. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely a Donna truther. Um, in fact, I, I think there should have always been a, a female vocalist in the Grateful Dead. Um, I would have loved to hear the, um, the, the 80s sound mm. w- with an extra female voice, you know? Not even Donna. Yeah. Could it be, could it be any, you know, anybody, etc. Well, um, yeah. yeah. Nob, Fig, what are your thoughts on Donna? Yeah, I'm pro- I'm always a big fan of the Donna. I even, I mean, I like the Donna yells because to me, I, they're not a pretty sound, but they're not trying to be pretty sounds. 
Like Donna can do pretty if she wants to do pretty, right? When she does those yells in playing in the band, like she's a saxophone solo squealing at the end, you know? It's a cool sound when you take it for what it is instead of just trying to compare her to other vocalists. And she does the pretty really well. I like a lot of her improvisations on Scarlet Begonia's. Um, uh, obviously, her work with the Jerry Garcia band speaks for itself. They just posted a clip this morning of, uh, of them playing I'll Be With Thee, some yeah, song by yeah. that name. Uh, and I was very, very impressed with the beautiful sound that Donna got out there. That was really cool. And then I realized we were just supposed to say one, and I've mentioned like four already. But one that I also really enjoy in uh, starting in late 77 through the end of her run, Donna would throw in in the last verse of Ramble on Rose when Jerry would do the goodbye, mama and papa. She would throw in this little yeah. And it added, it was such a little touch that added so much to the end of the song. And that to me is what Donna did best. Yeah. Well said. Um, yeah, Donna was an enhancer. I mean, I, I like her songs, too. So it's not like she didn't have you know, a knack for some songwriting as well. But you know, my, my favorite era of The Dead is, is that like 77, you know, 78 time period. And you know, that was right smack in the middle of Donna. And you know, she's a big part of that. And I think that we, she should be celebrated as we do celebrate her uh, on her birthday and every day. So happy birthday, Donna Jean. Do you, and this goes for either Knob or Fig, mm-hmm. have a favorite, it doesn't have to be performance like date or anything like that, but a favorite preferred Donna vocal? Um, I like her in everything, but I feel like Passenger, I really, really mm. enjoy and enjoy her on. Uh, thoughts from you? Probably Music Never Stopped for me. To me, all of the best Music Never Stops have Donna in there, just because I love that interplay between her and Bobby on the, the chorus or pre-chorus bit. Um, I'm thinking of They Love Each Other, because it kind of turns into more of a love song. Like, I don't know. Like I feel like she had a lot of chemistry with Bobby. Um, You know, I'll leave the rumors off the table, but like, you know, I don't know. She She was just... A really good harmonizer, um, you know. I, I think actually, and I'm, this is, goes into some thoughts I have about the current show that we'll talk about in a little bit. But I think Brent is just a fantastic harmonizer. I mean, I think Brent eclipses, you know, even Donna Jean's um, really high abilities in that regard. But yeah, I, I I I like what she and Bobby can do when they get together, and and clearly she's all over you know, uh, Cats Under the Stars and a lot of other Jerry Garcia band stuff. And so she could really uh, elevate Jerry too. So I don't know, you know, it's, it's cool. And and I agree with you. I It is kind of a shame maybe that they had that female element for a good amount of the 70s. And then in the 80s and 90s, it was maybe forgotten about or just wasn't as prominent. Um, so maybe that was something that they were they were lacking. All right, and this week, we have a special sponsor. That's right, Fig. you don't even know this yet, but this week we are sponsored by Wake of the Flood, the 
Angels Share Edition. Wow. That's right. The Wake of the Flood 50th Anniversary Deluxe Edition features the album's seven original songs and previously unreleased demo recordings of Eyes of the World and Here Comes Sunshine. Recorded in early are, are, 19th... are we getting money from this or is no, it just no, 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 no. This is all payola. They're uh, only paying game. The two yes. of Fig and I get another bowl of gruel, knob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get some game bucks. Game um, bucks. It's kind of like crypto. You but get five, I get three. <laughs> Think of it as like a gift certificate. It's, it's karma. We get Reddit karma. So true. So true. <laughs> Not much, but you get some. Back to the advertisement. Recorded in early nineteen, <laughs> recorded in early nineteen seventy-three, just before the Grateful Dead performed on February 9th. The demos feature Jerry Garcia singing and playing a pair of new songs he and Robert Hunter had been creating. The Wake of the Flood 50th Anniversary Deluxe Edition also includes live material from the final night of a brief tour that immediately followed Wake of the Flood's release. This isn't even what we're supposed to be talking about. This is, this is not the Angel Share. Captured at well, Northwestern University. It's in the 50th Anniversary Deluxe Edition. McGraw's Memorial Hall on November 1st, 1973. The set is bookended with Weather Report Suite and Mississippi Half Step and features one of the most creative and inspired jams of the run with a Morning Dew playing in the band, Uncle John's band, and playing in the band. We again want to thank our sponsor, Wake of the Flood, the 50th Anniversary Deluxe Edition. Knob or Fig, any thoughts you would like to share about our sponsor? Uh, well, there goes the rest of the time we have to talk about the 85 show. So I want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Help on the Way. Uh, and please enjoy set two. I have a little trivia question for sure. the audience and maybe for my fellow co-host. Does anybody know what they're alluding to with Angel Share? Oh. What does that mean? I it's, feel like it's an actual that phrase. I feel like I've heard that phrase before. Yeah, it's a phrase. Well, but, yeah, because they also used it for the what was it? The Working Man's Dead when they yeah. released the same sort of album. Yeah, when they had all those demos. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the Angel tape. Share. Yeah. So my understanding, and I haven't thought about this in quite some time, but when you're making moonshine or hooch or whatever, and you're distilling, you know, there's oh. more. I, there's there's some sort of weird thing that happens where there's like less that comes out than, than goes in or something like that, and that's called the angel's share. Like some some just like just, like goes away. Um, I don't know why evaporation isn't the uh, the cause of that, but when people make moonshine, they call it the angel's share. Like just like the product that, that I don't know. The angel's share is that yeah. bit of whiskey that evaporates through the pores of the oak barrels as the spirit ages. Well, maybe that. Maybe, maybe that's it. Ooh, yes. What the hell well, does thanks, that have to do with the... proving me wrong? <laughs> what the hell does that have to do with the Grateful Dead Wake of the Flood? Because uh, these are all the other takes that didn't find themselves in the final. Oh, oh. yeah, these aren't the the Angel's Share is is a bunch of attempts at recording the songs. The Unbroken Chains are the funniest because you can hear Phil get annoyed at the rest of the band for not knowing Unbroken Chain. You know what? They should have paid you. Unbroken Chain wouldn't go on until that next until mars hotel they should have paid you 
for that ad- for for that advertisement. Absolutely. I mean, if they want to, I, I'll. I'm not going to say my bank account number on the air, but they know where to find me. Just reach out to me for the routing number. It will go from there. <laughs> All right, and our final um stop on this week's Channel Six News segment is the Billy and the Kids shows from just this past week august 16th and august 18th the 16th was at the baltimore uh was in baltimore rather the at baltimore. the <laughs> it is the baltimore really uh was at the pier six concert pavilion in baltimore and the 18th our very own knob was in Ooh. attendance at the rooftop at pier 17 in good old new york new york um Nob, what were your thoughts on uh, Billy and the Kids from the 18th? Uh, I enjoyed the second set. <laughs> um, I am a birdie told me you were thinking about bouncing. I okay, well, yeah, that's why I didn't say anything about the first set. Um, uh, no, I was okay. so happy okay, before you dive into it. Yeah, I, I went to the set list thread on Saturday morning and um, it was ordered by new. And and so I found your comment very quickly, and I literally laughed in bed when I read that you were going to leave at the end of set one. <laughs> can I can I, I say real quickly that I have a very similar anecdote where I just opened up, you know, Reddit probably I guess it was Saturday morning, and I I never look at who's actually commenting. I don't know if you guys see the commenter first. I never look at the commenter, but I read Knob your comment, and I read it, and I was like. Is that knob? <laughs> because it was like so idiosyncratically your writing, Thank and it turned you. out to be you. Yeah, I I'll paraphrase I this funny Reddit comment. Um, <laughs> yeah, I okay. My thing with Billy and the kids is I think that they need more rehearsal time. Sure, of course. On Tom Hamilton's post, he mentioned that they had two days of rehearsals and then two shows, and you you, you can hear it. Yeah. Um, I don't know I how think, you play this style of music with its improvisational nature without rehearsal. That's kind of the thing that keeps yeah. throwing me. They nail, see, they nail the improvisations. They, mm. all of my favorite parts of the Billy and the Kids show were the jams. It's the composed parts of songs that just don't sound... Th- th- nobody agrees on how they go. Uh, there were songs that took a minute or two minutes to actually get started because no one could agree how it started. Uh, they couldn't agree how you get from a verse to a chorus of a song or in and out of a jam, how a song ends. And that just kind of kept happening, and it felt... I don't know. It, the magic just wasn't there in set one for me. I really enjoyed. There was a nice Cumberland Blues jam between Daniel Donato and Tom Hamilton, uh, but that was really it in set one. And I really did. I thought well, about. You... Go ahead. Well, I, I I thought about going home because I I was I just wasn't having fun. It really wasn't doing it for me. Yeah. I'd even smoked weed and it wasn't doing it for me. Um, did I they even ate and... a burger to make sure I was less grumpy? Um, <laughs> did did they end set one of the New York show with Built to Last? Yes, and it. So I that before, is not a set one closer. I I love that song. I love that song. It is not a set one closer. I found it on YouTube, like the yeah. whole show, and I'm like, I'll take the dog for a walk. I'll hear Built to Last. It was awful. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, and I was well, like. 
how did it, like what the hell? Yeah. It, it I I agree. It's it's hard to enjoy live music when you can see them trying to figure it out. You know, as you're watching them, like, like it ruins that. Like, you know, it's hard to suspend your disbelief that these aren't like just incredible musicians. Like they're just kind of people up there, and when they're trying to figure it out, you realize, oh, they're just people, and like you know, and there's dynamics, and it's like, okay, I guess we're all gonna follow Tom because he's the lead singer, and yeah. you know, like it just it ruins. Yeah, like I can see how you could react that way, um, Nob. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now to give the show its credit, I did really enjoy set two mostly overall. Um, uh, they opened with drums into "Could You Be Loved" by Bob Marley, and I thought that was really fun because I just set two in general. They leaned into the jams more, and what Billy and the Kids does well is jam. They. Time after time, I was impressed with the improvisation because uh, it was so free, it was so loose, it was so fun. And then they would get to a song like Uncle John's Band. And I... Okay. If Dead & Company ever played an Uncle John's Band as slow as Billy and the Kids played Uncle John's Band this past weekend, there would be paragraphs on the internet <laughs> about putting Bob Weir in a home. Like, I... <laughs> I, it just, it was so slow, and the harmonies were so rough, because, and Daniel Donato is a brilliant player, he, going from Tom Hamilton to Daniel Donato as a singer is a lateral move. The, the only person in that band who could sing was Sierra Hall, and they did mm. not let her sing enough songs. Mm. Um, a really nice bird song jam, that was probably, it felt like the longest song of the night. Uh, and I really enjoyed what they were doing there. And then the real highlight to me were the last three songs of set two. It was Take Me to the River, which was awesome. It was so much fun. Had a real good time. Probably my highlight of the show. Uh, into a very pretty wharf rat that Sierra Hull sang uh, very well. Into uh, uh, Franklin's Tower, which ripped. Everybody got a chance to take a solo nice. on that. And everybody brought it home. That was, if there is anything worth listening to in that Billy and the Kids New York show, it is absolutely Take Me to the River, Wharf Rat into Franklin's Tower. Um, Take Me to the River. Is that... Yeah. I'm looking at the set list, FM. Um, that's Al Green originally? Yeah. Yes. Why? Is that like a, a famous? Like it, it's, um, talking The Dead did do it in 95. Really? It was... I. One of, if not the last cover that they introduced into rotation. Talking Heads did it uh, famously. Yes. yes. Put it on an album. Yep. I think probably was a single, to be honest with you. Yeah. Plus, of course, the talking bass from the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Billy, big, big mouth Billy bass. Oh, for yeah, Billy big, and the kids. I get it now. Billy Kreutzmann. Big um, <laughs> we can't make the episode title. I'm going to get doxxed. Um, but yeah, all in all, I wouldn't call Billy and the Kids a favorite musical experience. I probably wouldn't go see them again, um, but I am glad I went. Oh, and Pier 17 is a beautiful venue. I mean, I'm biased because I went to college in the financial district, um, but it, you, you have so many gorgeous views, uh, and I yeah. really enjoyed looking around at the rooftop. And it was, of Pier it's 17. really a rooftop venue? Yep, you're right on the roof. Uh, it's right. How do you get up and down? Is there an elevator? Or escalators. It's Ooh. it's in a mall. Pier 17 is a, oh. a mall, and and it's on the rooftop, oh. and the framing is it's right like it's uh, parallel to the Brooklyn Bridge, 
Uh, so that's right behind the oh, band while they play, awesome. which is a really cool view. And then there's just a lot of beautiful buildings in Fidei. Um, now, please don't ever use the word Fidei on this I, podcast. I thank you for calling me. You get out. one. You get one. As soon as I said it, I went, "Can we edit that out?" <laughs> now, before we move on to the main event, I do yeah. want to. I kind of, I guess, closed the Billy and the Kids because who oh, knows? Yeah. When, the who, Baltimore who, show was really good. I only who, watched it from the live stream, but the Baltimore show is everything that the New York show wasn't. And and really, who knows when the next time we're going to be able to talk about Billy is? Yeah. Um, I read that he was kind of looking shot by the end of like set two, New York. Do you have any opinions on that? didn't notice that he wasn't he didn't seem particularly out of it to me um yeah i i didn't notice that i wouldn't argue with people who did uh because i was uh, would you I'm, put daniel i forget how to say it yeah, thank you thank you thank you both of you would you put him back in that featured spot yeah, Donato wasn't the problem. I mean, uh, honestly, it now I I read a lot of opinions that he was. Oh, and, no, and I, I didn't. I don't know nearly enough to have an informative opinion. I I don't think he has a great singing voice. I'll absolutely agree to that. But if I'm, as I said before, the only one in that band who didn't who had a good singing voice was Sierra Hall. Um, if you're kicking out Daniel Donato for not being able to sing, you're kicking out Tom Hamilton, you're kicking out what's his name from the Disco Biscuits, uh, you, you're, you're going to be left with no members of the band. Um, and I thought Donato was a really strong guitar player, and I thought he held his own time and time again, uh, especially towards set two of that last night. Him and, him and Hamilton were really getting in a good groove of playing together. Um, it's a little tough to pull off because both Donato and Hamilton are used to being lead guitar player. Uh, but I. So that was the had... third thing was Hamilton's guitar playing. No, I no Hamilton was so good. He did his solo on uncle John's band and it was the only redeeming part of that uncle John's band. And I literally thought to myself, like he's got a little bit of a reputation for being kind of smug. I don't know if that's true, but he has a reputation for that. And during that Uncle John's ban, I thought to myself, if I could play like that, I would also be very smug. Um, <laughs> he is fully, when he can rip out a solo like that on the ending bit of Uncle John's band, no, I, I have no problem with Tom Hamilton in the Billy and the Kid shows. And if I had a full Instagram series dedicated to my headwear, I would also be smug, so. Or scarf. Was it scarf or hat? It was both. It was both. both. <laughs> yeah. It was both. Oh, yeah. And he has a, he he wears the scarves less frequently now. He still wears the hat all the time, but you definitely you don't see as much scarf Tommy these days. <laughs> a scarf on stage has got to be very uncomfortable. Yeah, well, he definitely tends Under to only lights. do it for indoor shows, uh, especially Man, towards, towards like the the fall winter period. All right, all right. All right let's go ahead. Anecdote or. Uh... <laughs> joke ruined. All right, let, let's let's move on. Let's go ahead and move on to our main event of the evening, which Woo. was a Monday night in Cincinnati, June twenty fourth, nineteen eighty five, to be exact. The exact location you can drop a pin on it. It was the Riverbend Music Center. Uh, set one opened up with Alabama Getaway, 
into Greatest Story Ever Told, They Love Each Other, New Minglewood Blues, Tennessee Jed, My Brother Esau, Loser, and then set one closed with Let It Grow. Fig, what were your thoughts on set one? Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, just general thoughts, just to take a step back, as Bobby would say. Uh, this was a really good recording. It was a good soundboard recording. Uh, the one big negative, I would say, is just way too much vocal effects. Like, Dan yeah. Healy, I think, was the guy who famously would throw vocal effects onto the band's um, you know, vocal lines. And, like, it was just outrageous tonight. Just outrageous. And, and it ruined a lot of what I liked about the show. So let's get into it. Um, and I did like the show, I will say. So Alabama, Getaway, uh, band was firing on all cylinders early. Um, at, at one point, they just sound like a garage band. They're just like, they're all playing as hard and as loud as they can. And it was kind of cool to hear from them uh, playing that way. Um, I like Jerry's uh, distorted guitar effects, and he's really ripping out some solos. So that was pretty cool to hear. We get into Greatest Story, and the high energy continues. This was a good version, though. It got pretty strange due to just the overuse of uh, vocal effects, especially on Bobby, who's the lead singer. Like, the lead singer does not need these kind of weird, just to describe it to the audience, it's like uh, delay or echoey vocal effects, like like you'd hear in space or something like that. And it's just everywhere. Uh, at the end of Greatest Story, we get King Brent doing the da 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 with, with the audience, which was a lot of fun. Uh, into They Love Each Other. This one had a nice groove and pocket. I, th I wrote that it sounded like a Joe Garcia band version of They Love Each Other. Uh, Brent's high harmonies um, oh, sounded like John. So I guess when John Mayer was um, looking back for her, you know, his harmony line, he, he may have looked to uh, what Brent was doing with the That's true! That part, um, which I thought was interesting. That kind of that was struck my ear. John Mayer. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it John Mayer has very interesting because, like, you know, his his lead singing voice is like that, you know, kind of dusky, you know, blues man gravel, and then yeah. his harmony voice is just like falsetto choir boy. It's like very strange. Um, anyway, we're talking about the Grateful Dead here. Uh, we get into uh, New Minglewood Blues. This one had a disco gallop, which I liked. Uh, Jed was a fun version of that song. Esau, I I wrote that this is the best '80s. Grateful Dead song. Um, that's all I have. I mean, this was a good version. Uh, I just, I don't know. It's got a cool vibe to it. It's, you know, it's saying something interesting. I, I like what it's about. So it's always cool to hear that one. We get into Loser, and here we have Jerry and King Brent on harmonies, uh, which was just, just pair. There's a fantastic pairing. Um, I felt that Jerry, uh, especially, but the band generally, were really feeling this Loser tonight. It was a really powerful and emotional version. And I think it's what you look for in Losers. Um, and it's one that I, it's a feeling that I haven't gotten in a long, long time with Loser. Um, you know, Loser's one that pops up. And lately I've just been kind of let down because I haven't really felt that kind of power and emotion. But we really felt it tonight. So that was cool. And then uh, Set What ends just fantastically with Let It Grow. This was a really great version. Some great playing. Really tight. Jerry was ripping. And, um, you know, the dynamics were there this was an awesome way to end set one so um yeah really high marks for me for set one however dan healy just lay off it man uh nob what are your thoughts i liked it yeah. um thank you thank you it's true. um 
Yeah, I thought this was a fun set one. Uh, the big thing that's going to stand out is this is 1985. This is not the nicest, prettiest sound you're ever going to get out of Jerry, vocally. Mm. Um, he's going to forget some of the words. Uh, he is not always going to sound nice, but the big thing is that he's always going to give his all. This mm. isn't like 94, 95 Jerry, where he's starting to, I don't know, lose interest in the in the shows and you get a sort of tired vocal delivery this is very energetic his voice just sounds rough uh this doesn't bug me on every song but it does bug me on some of the songs and i it will come up from time to time um yeah i thought alabama getaway was a great opener uh really nice boppy drive to get things started uh jerry despite having some scratchy vocals there is a passion and energy that keeps it me interested uh, I really love what the Rhythm Devils are adding to this one. Uh, really fun guitar solo at the end. It's just a good, fun opener to... It's just good dance and music. Nice. Um, greatest story ever told. Uh, there's kind of a sloppy start to it, but once it gets going, it's very fun. It's a very high-energy rendition. Uh, I don't know what's up with Bobby's voice in only this song. I kind of was bracing for a worse sounding Bob because on some of those high notes in this song in particular, uh, the voice just wasn't there. Uh, but as the show went on, it became clear that greatest story ever told was an anomaly in that regard. Don't know what happened there. Um, really love the harmony between Bobby and Brent on greatest story ever told. Really nice. Um, a really good groove on they love each other. Uh, I would agree with you that it's very Jerry Garcia band sounding. Um, it's not always note perfect, and Jerry doesn't know all of the words, uh, but I'm into it more than I normally am with these slower they love each other's. Uh, when we get into the solos, it is really good. Uh, if this was an instrumental rendition, I would be raving about it. Um, um, speaking of raving, I loved this new Minglewood blues. This is probably my favorite part of set one. Uh, Everything about it is just right. It's grooving, it's driving, it's got a little grit in it. Bobby sounds good. There's a really nice Jerry solo. There's a really nice Brent solo. Bobby also takes a solo. But other than that, I, I really cannot speak <laughs> highly enough about this new Minglewood. Um, yeah, and then Tennessee Jed was fun. It was not an all-timer, but it was generally a good time, and I'm usually a Jed hater, so that, that probably says something. Um, yeah, I mean, in general, with this first set, there's not a, really anything game-changing happening. This is probably the first set to about 20 or 30 shows from the mid-'80s, uh, but everything is played well. Like, there's no standout dud, uh, which is really nice. Uh, speaking of really nice, I did really enjoy the Esau, uh, especially what the drummers were bringing to it. Mm. Uh, I'm with you on Loser. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, it was a very fast Loser. Uh, again, some spotty Jerry vocals, but yeah. this is a song where it doesn't always bug me. Uh, there's something about the fact that this character is a Loser that I don't need him to sound the prettiest. Uh, and once it gets cooking, it gets cooking. Uh, Brent adds a lot here, both vocally and with his organ. Well, I should work on phrasing that. Um, <laughs> uh, then, yeah, Let It Grow, I really enjoyed to close the set. Some very disco-y drums. 
some really nice energy on the jam. Uh, it never really gets out there, uh, but it stays in this very awesome, dancey place while Jerry fires away some really high-energy lines. Uh, the build-up into the last bridge is very fun. Jerry never really nails that... <laughs> Let it grow ending riff. The but what does he do? That Just dances but, around it. It's, for, yeah, it's often mess it up. It's the rhythm seems to be really troubling him uh, on that one. Um, but that's not a show ruining, not a set ruining, not even a song ruining issue. Just a little thing I noticed. Um, but yeah, overall, I wouldn't call this like an old timer or anything, uh, but there's really nothing that this first set does poorly. All right, set two of June 24th, 1985, brought to us uh, Iko Iko into Samson and Delilah. He's gone, Smokestack Lightning, Cryptical Envelopment. Oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. I, was, I was waiting for you just to trip up and be like, "Nob." I was on mute practicing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, drums. Very well. Uh, comes a time. That's my OTO. Ooh, that was um, real good. The other one, uh, another cryptical envelopment. Mm-hmm. Wharf rat around and round. Good loving and a show ender of U.S. Blues, which fun fact might be my favorite encore. Um. Nob, what were your thoughts on set two? I also liked set two. (laughs) Um, The end. Uh, Yeah, Ico was a fun opener. To me, things really got cooking with Samson, but Ico is still good. Um, I'd never... Okay, there's a Bobby verse in this Ico Ico that I'd never heard before, and when I googled it, it looked like this was the only time they did it. So... Who knows? History. Uh, that was that was very interesting. Um, other than that, it's Ico Ico. It works. It's it's a fine Ico Ico. Just not a particularly uh, thought provoking Ico Ico. Um, but Samson is what, what really make your kicked... book of Icos. Uh, I like at the bo- like you know, I... like the, the back of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if it's in there, it's it's like a footnote. Like it's not you know. It is one worth checking out for the Bobby verse, but if there wasn't a Bobby verse, this would just be an Ico Ico. Okay. Um, anyway, Samson. Samson. I really enjoyed Samson. Um, I loved what the drummers were doing, not just in the intro, but throughout the whole song. Uh, but I really loved when the full band came in. Like They really nailed that rainbow full of sound just suddenly coming out of the drums. Uh, it's just very fun, very high energy throughout. Great Jerry solos, awesome Brent underscoring, Bobby's killing it, the drummers are on fire, Phil's got some great stuff. It's really tight, everybody is firing on all cylinders. Really enjoyed it. Um, I also really liked the He's Gone. It was a, a cool down, but not a total mood killer. It wasn't a, a full-on ice bucket here, because uh, it was especially, uh, by He's Gone standards, on the speedier side. Um... If we do features at two, uh, I would recommend to really pay attention to what Bob's adding to this He's Gone uh, on the guitar. He has a really cool texture that reminds me a lot of Jerry. Um, Jerry doesn't have the notes to sing every bit of He's Gone, but he snarls his way through it, and the emotion carries, and you're rooting for him, and the crowd is absolutely right to cheer. Uh, the ending's a lot of fun, very fun energy on the vocal jam going into Smokestack. Um, 
enjoyed Smokestack. That's all I got. Uh, um, <laughs> Cryptical sounded really nice. I kind of, you know, no disrespect to the dead or to their playing abilities. Uh, but often when a song like this gets busted out after a long while, uh, it it usually sounds sloppier than this Cryptical did. I was very impressed with it. Uh, Jerry's voice, still Jerry's voice. Uh, but overall, I, I really thought this was a fun and well-played Cryptical uh, going into drums, which I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna geek out about the Grateful Dead for a second. Only now, you um, on this yeah, podcast, I know. But don't you have other, you know, avenues to geek out on the Grateful Dead about? Like, come on, I man. mean, sure, but you don't get a lot of second dates that way. Um, so, <laughs> uh, drums, okay. So when the whole cryptical, the the that's it for the other one, sweet. Uh, when they would play that in the 60s, that Can is... Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is That's It for the other one just the other one, but, like, with, like, other one plus? Or what are we talking about yes, with That's it's... It for the... Okay. So That's It for the other one is when you do cryptical envelopment into drums, into the other one, back into cryptical envelopment. Which is what we're doing tonight. Yes, with a comes oh. a time thrown in the middle. Oh, okay, um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But that was... It was a, one of their earliest suites. Uh, they quickly dropped... Hmm the cryptical and drums and cryptical parts and just stuck with the other one. Uh, but this is, we get the full suite here, which is really cool. Um, I think this was the second time they had busted it out since 1970. Uh, I should have looked that up before speaking out loud. Um, anyway, part of this sequence was always a drum solo, but it was you or drums duet, but it was usually only about two or three minutes. Probably the longest I can think of off the top of my head is like, six minutes mm -hmm. but that one is like a notable outlier um but it was cool to hear drum space be thrown into that spot mm -hmm. uh there's something about it's like an update yeah old dead getting to meet the new dead where they are and new dead getting to throw in not just the usual two minute drum solos you expect from the, that's it from the other one suite but a full drum space and it comes the time which was really cool um so yeah, I was thank just you, thank excited. You for, thank you for taking the opportunity to geek out. That was that was yeah. good. Good analysis. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I really enjoyed the drums. I, it was very like not just because it's usually part of the that's it for the other one suite, and that was really cool. But it was just a really good drums. It started off nice and intense in that the other one style, and then once Mickey switched to the percussion toys, it just became fun. I had a lot of fun listening to drums. Um, I will say that my roommate came home while I was in the middle of listening to drums and I like looked at her so apologetically. And as soon as I'm done recording this podcast, I am going to formally apologize. Um, but anyway, uh, space was fun. I don't really know what to say besides there were a lot of sounds in space. <laughs> Just a lot of like, I, I heard ringtones. Yeah, I don't necessarily mean this insultingly, but it's going to like vaguely sound it, but it really just was a collection of interesting noises. Um, now, interesting is a interesting term to use. Thank you? Yeah. Yeah, I was hoping it would come off as neither positive nor negative, but I fear <laughs> it comes off negative. It's like, um, it's like when a child hands you like some artwork that they did. You say, "Oh, this is interesting." Yeah, no, I I mean it vaguely more positively than that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, comes a time was very fun. 
for what was a fairly standard 85 set one, there was a lot to, as an audience member, be excited about in set two. Not only the full that's it for the other one suite, which made people go nuts, but also the Comes a Time was pretty cool. Uh, not a, a super common song. Yeah. Uh, this one is a, a song where Phil especially stands out. I really like what Phil's adding to this Comes a Time. Um, again, Jerry vocals, and it does kind of drag in the beginning, but there's a lot of great feelings, and it really comes together in the end. Uh, into a very short The Other One. Never really goes anywhere crazy, but it keeps the energy up. Uh, the drummers dominate this The Other One. Uh, and a really great performance from Phil as well. Um, Phil especially shines in the post-drums part of the mm-hmm. show, in my incredibly smug opinion. Um, then a slick transition from the cryptical into Warfrat. Uh, this, is, this is the song where the gritty vocals bugged me the least. Uh, despite it, maybe even because of it, it was a gorgeous rendition of Warfrat. It was moving forward when it needed to move forward. It allowed itself to breathe during the bridge. It even got a little intense towards the end. It really went on the journey you want to take with Warfrat. Uh, and it is definitely a highlight of the set for me. Um, as always, a tight transition into Around and Around. Uh, really nice build-up on that one. Grooving. Uh, love Brent's contributions, especially. I would, never, I would never call this an all-timer, but it also does everything right. Um, I really enjoyed Around and Around. And then a very fast good loving to bring us home. Uh, it was very funny hearing Jerry and Brent correct who they're singing to in their little backup harmony. When Bob was like, I said doctor. And they were like, baby. And then <laughs> he goes, Mr. MD. And Brent starts going doctor, but Jerry still sings baby. And yeah. then, oh, can you tell me? And then they both sing doctor. And that was cool to hear. Um, and then Bobby talks about whatever the hell he talked about for 10 minutes. I actually, um, um, I, I, I transcribed a bit of it. It's, it's just nonsense, but go ahead. Sure, we'll sure. I'll, we'll I'll let you cover that one when we get sure. to, uh, I, I trust you on that. Um, and then, yeah, U.S. Blues was a, a fun encore. I do always enjoy it as an encore. Um, yeah, overall, I really enjoyed this show. Uh, what did you think, Fig? Yeah, um, I think I liked it. I don't think I liked it as much as you, however. Um, but you hit on a lot of really good points, and I'll try to uh, I'll try to add a little bit of something something to that. Uh, so Ico Ico was a nice groove, uh, and I like the vocals uh, because we get uh, Brent on vocals, and and I'm you know juxtaposing it with last week's show, which st- the set, second set started with an Ico where we had Vince, no Jerry on on vocals. Um, and I, I gotta say, I, I gotta, I, I like, uh, hearing what Brent can do on the psycho. Um, and it's just like, you know, last week I just had that kind of note where Jerry just seemed like the you know, sad guy at a party and, and, and this one, you know, the party was right there. So this was a big change from last week's psycho opener. Samson, I don't have much about, but it, it was a, a good, um, rockin' version. I thought it was interesting that we got an Esau and a Samson in a Monday show. So they're going biblical. Mm. Uh, on a Monday show. And greatest story. Jeez, what are we doing here? What are we doing, guys? Um, He's Gone was soulful. Was soulful. I, so I liked the version, but it was just absolutely ruined by the vocal effects. A lot of them. Smokestack Lightning was really good. Cryptical Envelopment. So I kind of was feeling the Back to the Future vibes here. And I was you know, thinking of Primal Jerry singing this and then the change in Jerry's voice. I mean, how many roads did... did you know, so many roads Jerry has seen since... um. Last time singing this, and it just it, you know it, 
such a big change in his voice, you know, uh, from all those years. Um, but I'm glad they did it. You know, like it, th- that's a real risk when you're bringing up something that you haven't done in decades. Yeah. And, you know, trying to do something that a younger version of yourself did and, 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 and they did it and I'm, I'm proud of them for doing it. So jumps in space happens. I heard cell phones ringing and, and then they were talking, which was not fair. That kind of creeped me out. Yeah. Um, comes a time. This, you know, this is a good version of it. A a birdie told me that this is actually the first time that we've covered comes a time on this podcast, which I find hard to believe. Yeah, uh, I heard I heard such thing. I heard tell. Um. So they break into it after drums, and the strumming pattern actually sounded like "Broke Down Palace," which was interesting. Um, Jerry's feel, like I think the meter is what you would call it. Um, yeah, just like the way his the rhythm of his voice as he was singing was just not on. Like, I mean, I like comes a time and, but it needs to have that kind of meter to it. it has a very specific feel to the vocal line. And Jerry just didn't have it. it he was just singing it like da 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 da. That's just, it wasn't there. So not a great version of comes a time, but they go back into the other one, which was pretty awesome. This was lots of noise. They're back to their garage band stuff. Um, now Brent has these plunky sounding keys, which typically I do not like whatsoever. Uh, that kind of plunkiness. But this one was kind of cool just because of all the noise going on. And then we get a ripcord change back into cryptical envelopment. And this was about 40 seconds long. And I actually applaud them for not going big on this one because in this in the in Primal Dead area, you know, like they would go big with the, you know, he has to die part. And I'm just glad they didn't go there. Uh, but then we get a really interesting transition, really cool transitioning into Warfret. Brent's harmonies were just fantastic um his 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 harmonies he really his voice really is an instrument and 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 he you know brings harmonies that you would he think like a cellist would bring or cello would bring to um like a symphony or a orchestra and it's just it's such an incredible talent um you know Nob, one of the episodes that that you weren't um on was uh brent's I guess anniversary of his death or we were eulogizing Brent. And that was one of the things that we were talking about was just like how amazing King Brent's harmonies are. And Warfrat was a really good example of that. Around and around was good. Good loving. Uh, not my favorite dead song, but I really do think it's the prototypical dead song. It's got that like boppy feel, just fun. And, um, you know, all the instrumentation I think is just like, just really is the grateful dead in my mind. Um, did anybody hear, you know, that song like, hey, baby, I want to know. Yeah, yeah. If you... Did you guys hear that in that song? So it was like the middle of the song, right before Bobby's little rap, and Brent brings that melody into it. Did anybody else hear that? It was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this just this is the magic of, of Brent Midland, everybody. <laughs> um, I, will, I will wait until... Um, so I, I transcribed some of the stuff that Bobby was saying, but yeah, I'll wait please. until uh, game asks us if there's anything else that we have to say. Um, so I'll skip that part. And then U.S. Blues was a pretty decent ending to the show. And that's all I have to say. All right. Let's go ahead and continue on here. Uh, we do not have a Scarlet Fire to rate this week. So we will move on from that. Um, knob or Fig? Will this show make your Book of the Dead? Nob? 
I think the answer is no, but I did have to think about it really hard. It would definitely be... It's a, it's a close call, but it's a no. No-ish. Yeah. And Fig. I'm going to say no, it would have, but for Dan Healy and, and the vocal effects. I, I kept sure. coming down to it. It kept just ruining my experience, and it is what it is. That's my... If, if Jerry's voice sounded like just... if. He just had a stronger voice that night. If if yeah. the voice was sounded a little nicer, this probably would make my book of the dead without well, I much wonder, hesitation. I wonder if you know Jerry was trying to make up for it and just like Dan, give me something extra. But yeah, that if that was the yeah, I'm, I'm completely guessing that that occurred. Um, but if that did occur, it was taken to the nth degree, and it was just no bueno. Game. All right. Um, which you get, a, you get a say, Book of the Dead. Um, well, I didn't get to, to listen. Um, oh, <laughs> well, did, that, have we convinced you? Um, I would say. Let me go back up. Here I think it'd be really stuff. funny if we I don't both think... voted no, but somehow talked game into <laughs> voting yes. Um, no, but set two sounds nice. <laughs> so it is a no for me. However. I will do this. I'm really thinking about it. I will do the set two vote of the set voting, which will be set number dos. Uh, Fig, set one or set two? Oh man, I gotta look again. Um, Go to knob. Set two. Cut to knob. It's it's honestly closer than I would have thought, but it is set two for me. Yeah, it's gonna be two. Sure. Again, I, I would I would totally vouch for the whole thing, but for those harmonies, man. Yeah. But we'll do too. I like the cryptical envelopment. Again, that was it was good on them for, for trying that. And um it was good it was, it was a good show. It just doesn't make my book of the dead. Alright. Please make sure to stick around after the pod to listen to set two of June twenty fourth, nineteen eighty five. Uh now we do have um actually we were blessed with some Reddit comments this week. Oh, we got MVP, bro. Uh, oh, yes, we do have MVP. My apologies. Um, MVP of the show. Um, Fig, who was your MVP? Yeah, I found a way to put a little graphical representation of a crown into our show sheet, so it's going to be King Brent. Let's go. Knob, show MVP. Yeah, okay, I was having friends. a hard time choosing between Brent and the drummers. So since Fig shouted out Brent, I'll shout out the drummers. Oh, what? And even though I didn't listen, I'm going to vote for King Brent. I feel like uh, I was really hard on Billy and the kids. So I also want to say <laughs> that uh, the drummers really brought it 40 drummers years are ago. Cool. All right, now we're going to move on to our Reddit comments. And our first comment is from Combat MVP. Um, Fig, how did you say this username earlier? Oh, I say Cabonius. Cabonius? I like that. Cabonius. Definitely an MVP. Definitely an MVP. This comment from Cabonius is going to be read by both myself and Nob. Um, I will be taking part A, and Nob will be taking part B. 
Um, so part A of Cabonius's comment is as follows. Uh, this is one of the best shows of 1985. Very little from this year has been officially released, but this show is one of them as part of the 30 Trips box set, with the other being Thick's Picks Volume 21. 85 is one of those years that tends to be polarizing, with heads either loving it or hating it. I love 85 because it is liminal, straddling the line between the early Brent years as he was finding his way and trying out keyboard configurations, and then the touch years where the band had really found their sound and was locked in. The band was still flying a bit under America's radar, so crowds weren't out of control, oh. and Garcia's big health scare still hadn't happened. We didn't know it was a golden age now obviously the mid 80s have some times where garcia wasn't playing well but there's a lot to like in june 1985 this entire week of shows with alpine spack hershey park and merriweather post is one continuous high point obviously by now everyone on tour had heard the cryptical envelopment had been played and this show features one of the versions that the dead played of the song that summer perhaps to mark their 20th anniversary or perhaps just because they felt like it for 62485, I'd suggest paying particular attention to space. It's a spooky, twisted space, and there's no mistaking the Big Other One theme, but eventually comes a time materializes from the chaos, and it is an unexpected pleasure. Garcia's voice is gravelly, yes, but it's still a beautiful performance, with the other one eventually following. I love this show, and I hope others will discover it and come to appreciate that Summer 85 vibe. For those who haven't heard this one for a while, jump back in. You won't be sorry. Awesome. Awesome. Beautiful, beautiful limerick there from our uh, our friend Cabonius. Uh, we have... Sorry, what do you think a limerick <laughs> is? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> it's about... I'm to call you out so brazenly, but I want you to define that word real quick. Uh, I like it. That's its definition. <laughs> does he know more or less than Fig does about what an angel's share is? Oh, less. Definitely less. <laughs> Probably less. I was in the ballpark. Um, I will take our next comment, and then Fig, I will have you read the final one. Okay. Uh, our I'll next. Read it like a Thank you. Our next comment is from Docman four two seven, and Docman has to say, Doc-man. "I, <laughs> I think nineteen eighty five is a better year than most give credit for. It's not a favorite, but still a lot of good shows like this one, as well as Alpine, Red Rocks, Berkeley, among others. Cool. A lot of eighty five love out there. Yeah. And here's one it's from Good. I I would just say that I agree. It is definitely a better year than most give it credit for. Um, it's got that reputation because it's so close to Jerry's health scare. Uh, but I think that despite some some gravelly vocals, uh, you get a lot of really good shows here. Cool. So we have our last comment, Reddit comment here from JWG3 frequent commenter who says i'll keep this one simple because that's the vibe i got from the show itself mm. this was a very enjoyable listen from top to bottom specifically from a song selection and song execution perspective it felt like they were reading my mind on what song i wanted to hear 85 dead play next which made it super fun to multitask and or sing along to uh, for me it's all multitasking and i'm sure that effect would have 
been even better in person. Outside of some extremely smooth transitions between songs, there were not really any jammer instrumental specifics that stood out to me too much, exception below. And for that reason, this is an unlikely choice of show for me to revisit on my own time. It did not make our Book of the Dead either. It's a show I'd throw on for more... It's a show I'd throw on for more casual fans slash non-deadheads, though. That's interesting. And that's not a bad place for a show to land. Agreed. Set 2 was the highlight for me, and we agree with that. Specifically, with the full Other One suite around drums and space that contrasted with the jukebox-style show around it. It's pretty cool that they brought that back for this little stretch of dates for the first time since 1972. Thank you, JWG3. Great comment. Let's bring her Um. home. Oh, all right. Looking forward to next week, we have April 7th, 1995, Tampa Stadium, Tampa, Florida. Um, oh, this looks like a heater, doesn't it? Um, that that's set too. It looks, looks <laughs> stay away. I'm seeing red flags all over the place right. here. It sounds See, like I, that uh it does that start with show that I saw last summer all over again. It does start with Eyes of the World, set to... Uh, Eyes of the Saint? Yeah. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, They do the... The intro. Yeah, they... I was going to say, they do the... They start the song. Yeah, they end Eyes, and then they go into the... (laughs) It's really like the build-up bit at the end of Lost Sailor into Saint, but... That's how they tend to do it. There have been standalone... They would open sets with Saint of Circumstance sometimes. Uh, at this stage in the game, and that was always wild. Hmm. So, looking at some of the positives of this set list now, it is yeah. 1995. Yeah, yeah, Visions of Joanna will be really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Masterpiece will probably be two Dylans back to back, which is interesting. Um, hmm. Loose, I like Loose Lucy. I said on the podcast recently just, that's usually a sign that Jerry's going to be into it. So, fingers crossed. Set two yeah. looks cursed. However, it it is brutal. It, that is not a I'm series like, of songs I'm looking forward to listening to. Maybe maybe this is just a rare gem that's just waiting to be unearthed. Yeah, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. I sure. would love to love this show, but I am not. <laughs> I am hesitant reading it on paper. Do you want to speak set two into existence game? Um, or are we going to leave it on paper? Let's just let's leave it on yeah, paper. Yeah, an exciting cliffhanger for next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, as always, please go ahead and smash that subscribe button and like and share with any and all of your Grateful Dead loving friends and family. Uh, of course, you may find us at wherever podcasts are downloaded. However, if you do happen to use a service that lo- that loosely rhymes with I'm not throwing away my shot of I, uh, you won't find us on there. However, most other major podcast platforms you will find us on. If you do like to get your podcast the old-fashioned way, please come to us on the web at helponthewaypod.podbean.com. If you'd like to email us, please do that at helponthewaypod at gmail.com. And of course, you may communicate with us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Grateful Dead. Any parting words from Knob or Fig? I'll just jump in and say that we have been getting um, some positive comments about this 95 show. 
And just to so people aren't aren't in suspense, this was the transcribed version of what Bobby was saying in Good Loving. Can't help but think about the world. Seems like things are getting darker in every conceivable way. We got hijacking terrorists. We got global politics. We got oh. something unintelligible. And then it went to Good Loving. And then you know, and then Jerry was like, uh, "Gotta have Loving. <laughs> Get you off that track, Bobby." Uh, go ahead, Nob. Sure. Um... Right before Loser, uh, your friend and mine, Bob Weir, says that during the break, we're going to be holding a raffle, and the winner of the raffle gets to hold the rhythm section hostage. Uh, so just so you all know that during the break of this show, uh, we're going to be holding a raffle, and the winner of the raffle gets to hold me hostage. <laughs> we're going to have the most comments uh, of, uh, of, the, of the show so far with that. Thank you. I'll take it. I'm going to be held hostage is like a step below positive attention. I'm going to be reaching out to our friends over in Southeastern Asia and going to see <laughs> if I can get them to bot the post and flood it with uh, <laughs> flood it with comments and see if we can um, find a winner for that contest <laughs> for that raffle. Um. All right. Well, I have no parting words. And okay. um, the only thing we have to look forward to um, is April 7th, 1995. But before that, please stick around for set two Ooh. of June 24th, 1985. And we thank you once again for listening to the Help on the Way podcast. <laughs>
good looks, God knows who I Lashikin don't sense his mind When first he saw this woman looking to believe his mind Lashikin don't sense his need To tell me where else to fly If you please to shit Spoke so kind, God knows Talk so fair No sense he said that I'll look at all my So walking along, look down the ground, he's on a old jawbone. Stretched out his arm, got no jeans, from black thread. When he got to moving, 10,000 were dead. If I
same old rat in a drain ditch. Caught on a limb. You know better, but I know him. Like I told you.
comes a time when the blind man takes your hand, says, Don't you see? The day may come 
when you can feel it all. Comes a time when the blind man takes your hand, says, Don't you see?
crowds of the city For a dime, a dime for a cup of coffee. Got no dime, but I got some time to hear his story. My name is August West, and I love my pretty big beers. Than my wine More than my wine More than my maker Though he's no friend of mine I knew I would really believe him Some motherfuckers cried The other half found me Stumbling around Drunk on burgundy wine But I
Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey.